This is your Friday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Got some good stuff coming up here in just a little bit. Alan Horton, Timberwolves radio voice for the last 14 years. This is year 15 for Alan Horton. Could not believe that. Uh, I talked to him um, for a segment on this show. He'll be coming up in just a few minutes here, as will Mark Craig, Star Tribune NFL. Vikings writer does their weekly picks segment. Has some interesting thoughts on the Vikings against Detroit game. Thinks that one will go down to the wire as many Vikings games. And honestly, as a lot of Lions games have gone this season, surprisingly considering that team still does not have a victory. Also get into Brian Kelly's viral moment, creating a new voice for himself now that he is the head coach at LSU. But first... What did I miss from where I sit right now? There were two big stories in Minnesota sports on Thursday. One of them, actually both of them emerging fairly late. Let's start on the uh, let's start with the playing surface first. Wild staying hot. Ryan Hartman who is on Thursday's show. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that, please go back and listen to Thursday's show. Had him on Daily Delivery. Leads the leads the Wild in goals now with 13, added another one. Um, in the 5-2 win over New Jersey on Thursday night. Ryan Hartman, a plus four on the night, also had two assists on the game. Kirill Kaprizov, two goals in the game. Just an all-around, another all-around very good performance by the Wild. Solid night in net for Capo Kakinen, making back-to-back starts, giving Cam Talbot a little bit of time off in the, you know, in the early part of the season here. There's not much more we can say superlative-wise about the Wild. It's just as they keep stacking win after win like this together and, you know, relentlessly looking like they're dangerous on every shift, a threat to score on pretty much every shift, you know, putting up four goals, five goals in this case a game, um, you know, the conversation's going to shift pretty soon. It's not just going to be a nice little story. It's, you know, as they move up in the West, as they, you know, attain a pretty prominent spot in the Western Conference. We're going to have to start talking if this keeps up for another 10-15 games about, you know, bigger thoughts about where this season could go. And again, it's early. They're only what 23 games in, 16-6 and 1, a very good start, looking very promising. Like to see it for about a half a season before we get too excited, but right now, my goodness, this is a very fun team to watch and they seem to have a certain mix of ingredients that could bode well for them as the season goes along and even into the playoffs. So just an exciting team to watch right now. I don't know what what more we can say about it other than they they are appealing in a lot of ways, and I hope people are enjoying enjoying the season so far because it's been a lot of fun. Other big story that emerged later Thursday, Gophers and P.J. Fleck pursuing a reunion with offensive coordinator Kirk Soraka. Um, had a lot of success with him here in 2018 and specifically 2019. Um, Tanner Morgan flourished. Soraka went to Penn State, um, didn't work out there, and he's you know he, he left there. He's uh, you know he's basically uh, in line to uh, in line to come here, getting the band back together, as Randy Johnson wrote in his story on StarTribune.com. It's interesting, makes a lot of sense um, considering. Tanner Morgan is coming back for another season, considering the amount of success they've had together. 
Um, Chips Goggins had a good column too. It's, it can't just be a new offensive coordinator. It's got to be a better balance on offense. Too much emphasis on the running game this year. Not enough trust in the pass game and some of the uh, the options they had there. But bringing an old face back in this case, I think it, it, it makes a lot of sense given the amount of success Soraka had here with with the Gophers and specifically with Tanner Morgan. Curious to see, too, if the Gophers, you know, what they might do in the transfer portal this offseason. It doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of quarterback depth right now, even with Tanner Morgan coming back. Wonder if they're kind of uh, all in on Tanner Morgan or if, if, if they're looking for a little bit more depth there as well. Not This is no insiding or anything, just kind of looking at the quarterback room, how they lost two guys to the portal when Morgan came back. Wondering if there could be more uh, more options there as well, but... The bigger news right now, Kirk Soraka would not surprise anyone. Uh, didn't surprise anyone, I guess, the thought that that could happen, and it sounds like that is a- even closer to happening as of Thursday night. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Rubio off to love. Oh, that's a foul! David Guthrie is right there. He didn't have the guts to call it. Also, go ahead, Malloy! That was just a little clip from a famous Alan Horton moment from about eight years ago. Asked him about it on the interview that I'm about to play for you right now. Really excited to be joined today on Daily Delivery by Alan Horton, Timberwolves radio voice since 2007 man that sounds like a long time that's this is then your 14th 15th season doing this yeah so 15th year yep it does sound like a long time it feels like a long time sometimes uh <laughs> it, it probably does we i've been watching a lot of the same games that that you have although your your job takes you more directly into that sphere i want to talk to you about this year's team which has maybe more intrigue than than some of the ones you've watched over the years. I want to talk a little bit though at the beginning just about kind of your journey and what you've seen especially since you took this job in 2007. Start off maybe just kind of big picture like you know you've got you know one of a handful of very enviable jobs in the NBA. How do you how did you get to this point? You know you can you can start wherever you want but but the finish for for this question should be kind of like when you got the job. Yeah, I think, uh, first off, Michael, thanks for having me. And uh, thanks to your, to your listeners, too, saying they wanted to hear from me. That's, that's always nice. And it's um, um, sometimes when you're doing these games alone year after year after year on some cold, dark nights, and you, you wonder who's actually listening out there. But it's great when fans do approach me and, uh, um, and, and say how much they like listening to the games and, and tune in all the time. And even if it's just one person, that, that's enough to get me going. As long as one person is out there listening, um, that makes me extremely happy. Um, so I'm a, I grew up in Western Massachusetts in a small town. Um, I went to a liberal arts school in upstate New York, kind of went out West to ski for a few years, just be a ski bum in Jackson, Wyoming, one of my favorite places in the world. And then I got serious uh, and went back to school and I went to Syracuse, which is where I really started in the mid nineties. Um, you know, getting into sports broadcasting and everything. And, then the journey kind of took me from there to Vermont, to California for 10 years, L.A. and San Diego, and then up to Seattle and finally to Minnesota. Uh, but it wasn't always in basketball. It was kind of it was in baseball. It was in football. It was it was I was doing any kind of sport I could to try to build up 
um, my resume. And, and that meant not only different play-by-play um, paths, but also, you know, I worked as an analyst for a little bit um, in different sports. And I learned how to uh, be behind the microphone too and produce and engineer and do all those kind of things to kind of make yourself more valuable. And that really paid off when I got the Seattle job because they had a they had an opening for the Seattle Storm of WNBA, a play-by-play job. And there was a, a, a WNBA championship team in, in 2004. So this was a couple of years later in 06 and I got that job. But there were hundreds of people that applied for that. And, but it also, you had to be able to be the executive producer of the Sonics radio network and, and know how to produce broadcasts and hook up a network and all the kind of technical stuff behind the scenes. And that really gave me a leg up on a lot of different people because the, the guy who hired me, who's the radio voice of the Utah Jazz now, David Locke, even said, you know, we could have gone 100 different ways on the play-by-play voice. There were a lot of talented people. Um, but what you set you apart into a small group was that the fact that you could do all these other things behind the scenes. So that's where my resume kind of really paid off. Um, and then when I was there in Seattle for a year when I got the call and, and said they were, you know, Timberwolves were looking for a play-by-play man and um, – I uh, got the job late in the year. Uh, it was in October when I finally got hired and I, I drove from Seattle to Minnesota and then uh, I was in the office for two days and I was on a plane. And uh, two days later, I was doing a game with Billy McKinney, my former partner for one year. So it was kind of a, that's a long winded answer to get to the fact that uh, I've kind of bounced around all over the country and um, I've just kind of enjoyed the ride. You did Lynx games for a while here too, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, like you said, you did, the games initially here with, with Billy McKinney, but you've been a, a solo operation for a lot of the time with the, on, on the Timberwolves radio. What, what's it, how I'm, I'm curious, a, what it's like kind of being the, you know, the one person show, as opposed to, you know, you get the TV crew with, you know, with Dave Benz, Jim Peterson, and you, you've got also, I'm kind of curious, like how much of the behind the scenes work are you still doing in terms of like putting everything together? Not necessarily like pulling audio clips, but like, you know, what are you doing in terms of setting up the entire broadcast and thinking about post game and things like that? Yeah, really. It's been, um, and I'm glad you brought up the WNBA cause I, I absolutely love the WNBA and I, I loved being a part of the Seattle storm for one year and then watching the links grow into the dynasty that they became um, with Cheryl Reeve. And, you know, with the links, you're, you're one of just about, um, let's see, you're probably only about 16 people traveling, maybe 17, somewhere in there, small numbers. So you're really a part of the team. You're, you're helping out pulling bags off of buses, getting bags off of the conveyor belts. Um, you know, you're, I, Cheryl was great because she let me in the coach's room after the game. We could hear all the coaches vent and what they're talking about and giving you insight into things. Um, you really felt like you were a part of the team. And, and that was really cool. Um, especially winning a title in 2011, I guess was the first one. And then I was there for the next one in 2013. I guess it was the odd years, right? 11, 13, 15, 17. Yes. Um, so that really, that really was just such an educational experience. It's so great to be around these players and, you know, sitting on commercial planes and I'm wedged in between Maya Moore on my right and Lindsay Whalen on my left. I'm like, how much better does this get, you know? Um, and so, um, yeah, the first two years was really nice having a partner, Billy McKinney, my first year. And then, uh, Kevin Lynch was my partner the second year. He had come over from the Gophers. Um, and then they, you know, ran into, uh, I think, I think a downturn in the economy budgets changed. And all of a sudden Kevin's job was, was, uh, eliminated. And so it just kind of happened. But every time I think about maybe how long an NBA game is, I think back to some of my experiences with, I did San Diego state baseball for, for a number of years, seven, eight years. And I do those games all by myself. And college baseball um, is just, I mean, it's endless. It's the metal bat. I, I think they still have the metal bats, but 
I mean, I've done some games that have been 28, 27, you know, just four hour marathons. So anytime I think about how long a Timberwolves game might be, it's nothing compared to what college baseball was. It's some of the days and nights I spent just, just uh, calling games for four hours and filling that time. Um, but it is, um, you know, the, the analyst part went away. And so I tried to kind of keep an eye on some things that an analyst would. I paid more attention to who's on the floor, lineup combinations, matchups, um, kind of some strategy, what, you know, more things that an analyst would, would kind of focus on. So I try to incorporate that into a broadcast. And um, we do use a lot of audio clips and, and, and whether it's Cal Soderquist, our executive producer now, and John Fokey before him, um, you know, I work kind of hand in hand with them. We collect sound. We will send it back and forth. I'll do interviews. They go to, to practice or cut up sound. He'll find sound of the opposing team. And then I kind of dump it into my audio system and organize it. And that way I can play sound coming out of breaks. Kind of, I think it helps provide another voice. Um, I get tired of my, listening to myself for two and a half hours. So it's kind of nice just to be able to say, hey, here's Carl Anthony Towns on facing um, facing the Brooklyn Nets tonight. Or here's here's what Ant had to say in his latest, um, you know, spectacular post-game comment, something like that. Uh, so, and then I just, uh, I plug away at work for, for pretty much however long of time we have before the next game. I end up using that time just to prepare. And if it's on the second of back-to-back, it's going to be less prep than a game where we have two days off in between. But um, it once the season starts going, it's just a machine. It keeps rolling. And you. it's funny to spend so much time on one team. And then as soon as the game's over, you just move on and you're focused on the next team. Okay, what are the Brooklyn Nets doing? What, what, what's their trends? What are their storylines? Um, and then after that, you've got the Atlanta Hawks. What, what's going on with them? Why are they not as good as they were last year? What's Trey Young doing? Those kind of things. So it's... Um, once that season starts going, it's incredible how, how quickly it moves along. I get tired of my own voice after about five minutes. So I don't know how you do it for two and a half hours. But, um, I, you know, uh, in, in being in this job for a 15th season, if you've obviously covered and, and seen a lot of memorable moments, you have not seen a excessive amount of winning. There's been one playoff season since you got here. I'm sure you're keenly aware of that it, some of the particularly lean years you know when they're you know when they're winning you know in the teens for an entire season how, how do you kind of how do you make it through that aside from you know just still enjoying your job obviously but it's got to mm. get tough I, I know it's tough as a writer to cover a team that's losing that much it's got to be difficult to call games in that same fashion yeah it's it is uh there's no doubt about it it, it makes it more difficult and there's a balance like you don't want to be so tied to the team that if the team doesn't do well well then you're just you're just down in the dumps and you're in a funk and you, you can't get excited about things um but yet if you detach yourself from the team well then you lose kind of the passion and uh, that connectivity to the team that the fans, I think, want you to have. So that's that's a difficult balance there. Um, but we always approached it as, hey, if we could have, if we can, we can get through this season. If we ever start winning, our system of how we handle the broadcast and playing sound and things that we talk about, doing scoreboard updates, and keeping people up to date on storylines, not just in our game but around the NBA um, on a nightly basis. You know, it's just going to be that much easier when we do win. And that and that happened in 2017, 2018 with the with that run to the postseason, how good that team was. Um, but you just you know, you've got a show to put on every night. It's like having a talk show. Um, and no matter whether the teams won zero games or, you know, won 50 games, you're, you're still um, your job is the same no matter what the record is. 
And I always look at a game fresh. You never know what you're going to see. And it's amazing how often you see things that, man, I, I don't think I've ever seen that before. Or, wow, that takes me back to all the way back to 2008. I can remember some play that was similar to that. Um, there's always storylines to talk about, whether it's team related. Um, for, for the Timberwolves, a lot of it has been player related and development related. Hey, can, can Kevin Love develop into this type of player? What's Al Jefferson's? Um, strengths of his game and can the Wolves build around him? What's what about Carl Anthony Towns? How do we surround him with pieces? What about Ant? What can he become? Um, you know, such a dynamic young player. What can he become in the future? So there's there's always things to talk about, and we, we kind of focus on that. And then and once the game starts, hey, the records kind of go out the window. Um, and it, it but it is nice. I will say it is nice to win games. It is. Um, and, and this season, I think in particular, it's just been the Wolves have been relevant. Um, you know, they're being talked about around the league. It's it's not an afterthought that the Timberwolves come in and play a team. And even the Washington game last night was was competitive. It was fun. It mattered. You know, this, this team is a game over 500. We can look at the standings now and say, OK, we're right in the thick of things. If, if we win this game, boy, you're, if they had won last night, I think they would have been up to fourth in the West already. And that's only a couple of games over 500. And you can point back to so many games this year, Michael, where it's just, you know, the, the team shouldn't have lost some of these games. They should be even better than where they are. But um, the way they've played overall, I think it's really encouraging. I think the fans have gotten behind this team. Um, they've, they've, I think they've landed on the right coach and the right GM may have gotten there in a very strange way, but I think they've landed on those two positions. And maybe in my 15 years, I feel, feel more confident about those two positions and the people the Wolves have in charge of those two positions than, than I ever have before. You mentioned you might see anything on a given night. One night you saw Sean Marion foul Kevin Love Gosh. in the corner, um, didn't get called. It's a moment that people bring up still the O. Ed Malloy. Um, it, it, you knew I had to, you know, I had to talk about it. It, It's something you've had a great time kind of joking about and, and yeah. you know, talking about over the years. What do people, how, how often does that still get, how does, does. This, does this still come up even eight years later? I will still get tweets occasionally from um, games where Ed Malloy is the referee and the Timberwolves aren't even involved. Like it's some, <laughs> some Blazers Warriors matchup and some Blazers fans. Hey, Wolves radio, Ed Malloy in the building tonight. And it's just, uh, I, I always like it. And I, uh, yeah, you got to embrace it. I didn't know that that, you know, something would become viral as a broadcaster. You hope it's what the Al Michaels, you know, uh, you know, do you believe, do you believe in, miracles? in miracles? Yeah, I didn't know it'd be Doe Ed Malloy, but uh, hey, I'll, I'll I'll take it. And it's just, um, you know, what was nice about that was everybody I heard back from that 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 listened to that that liked it, you know, expressed that I was I was expressing exactly how they felt. And that's as a broadcaster, that's um, that's the best compliment you can get because you're you're describing the action to them with the same kind of passion that they have. Um, I try not to do it with just Timberwolves glasses on to try to be fair about things. But um, when it comes down to that kind of play, you know, that there was, that was a foul and, and the league admitted it the next day, which, which doesn't change anything, but um, no, I've, I've kind of embraced it. It's been fun. And anytime Ed Malloy, you know, the game earlier this year where Ed Malloy had, uh, teed up Carl Anthony Towns, there's that great photo of Ed Malloy walking in and Carl Anthony Towns behind him just with his hands up going, what, what? what it, it's just a great photo um so it's it, you know i think you have to you have to uh call it like you see it and then you know you, you got to embrace what just happened it's 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 um it's it's part of timberwolves history i guess i want to get back to this year's team in a minute but i also want to ask you like in terms of what you've seen over the years like what what are some of your your favorite 
moments. And I know, that, like I said, there's just been the one playoff appearance with the Jimmy Butler team. Maybe they make it to this year. I certainly think they're at least a play-in contender this year based on what we've seen through 22 games. But, you know, in the midst of more losses than wins, there still are certainly highlights. What What stands out to you from, you know, 14 full seasons plus what's happened so far? I think overall it's just the – just I love – the competitiveness of sports. And I, and I think that that translates from basketball to football, to baseball, to hockey. Um, when you have a competitive game and two teams going at it and competing at a high level, I just, I love that excitement. I love being in the building for that because the atmosphere is what makes that special. Um, and while there haven't been enough of those that you'd love for every game to fit into that category, uh, but that hasn't obviously with the Timberwolves over the last 15 years, but I think just there's a couple of games that stand out. You know, Kevin Love had a game winner in the L.A. Clippers. Um, I remember a great game that um, up in Portland. We've had some incredible games up there, and the atmosphere is so great. Portland's one of my favorite stops. Carl uh, Anthony Towns hit a, hit a game winner there when Sam Mitchell was coached for that one season after Flip had passed. Um, you know, even when the opponents do something, I still remember Carmelo Anthony scoring 37 points in a third quarter against the Wolves in Denver, which at time at the time tied the NBA record for most points in a quarter. I, I just never seen anything like that. And that was kind of before the Steph Curry and Clay Thompson's of the world, even Kevin Love, I think, broke that record. You know, we're just generating eight threes in a quarter. I think I think Melo may have hit some threes during that stretch, but he did it in a host of different ways. And the Wolves just couldn't stop him. Um, so that was memorable. There have been so many. I think some I just think a lot of the road games where the atmosphere was so great and so tight. Um, I guess, I guess the play in game against Denver was, was spectacular at the end of the 17, 18 season. Um, Wolves haven't been able to beat the nuggets since by the way, which still irks me. Uh, it's like eight or nine straight wins for the nuggets. I, I think they, they still, I think Mike Malone still uses that. Uh, even though there's probably nobody left on that nuggets team that was still around from then. Uh, I think he still uses that as motivation for his squad. Um, and then some of the big nights that, you know, Wiggins has had towns has had, um, Anthony Edwards is just incredible. And just with that, his athleticism and the way he, the way he attacks at least once a game, you've seen him, Michael, he just, he he's looking, he's looking to dunk on someone's head, you know, maybe once, twice, three times a game, he just attacks relentlessly. Um, and his personality just kind of shines through. Um, and so I guess, yeah, I don't know if I pointed out any great moments, but, um, like Wiggins hit the a shot in uh, Oklahoma City, like yeah. a half court shot just inside a half court to win a game there. Um, so there have been there have been some moments, and and uh, but I guess overall it's just any kind of close game that's got a great atmosphere to it that goes back and forth. Um, that's what you kind of live for. There's been moments like that already this season. I think you mentioned <laughs> being a Chris Finch fan, thinking they're on the right track <laughs> there. Anthony Edwards certainly gives reasons for optimism is because as you watch this team maybe we can end with this kind of notion it to me it feels different particularly defensively just the energy they have for whatever reason just the approach they have running at shooters that just haven't seen necessarily that style or that energy in in recent years as you think about this year's team so far I mean aside from just personnel what 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 stands out, if anything, that, that feels different to you than, than in some of these years that have gone off the rails? Yeah, I think I think you nailed it right there um, with the with the defense, Michael. It's just, um, you know, this this franchise has only had one top 10 defense in their franchise's history. Just one. I mean, that's all the way back in 0304 when they finished sixth. Um, they haven't had a top 10 defense since. And 
you know, you've seen enough basketball that, you know, that if you don't defend, you're just going to be in these high scoring shootouts. And, you know, the Wolves haven't been five, uh, you know, had enough firepower to compete with opponents in that category. They just haven't had the ability to outscore teams 130 to 125. Um, when you defend in this league, you give yourself a chance to win games. Um, and, and when the Wolves have done that, when they've defended, they've had a chance to win games. I mean, they're 11-11 now. And, yeah, they had that rough stretch early in the year where they lost five or six in a row there, and their defense was just not on point. But they got back to it, um, and it's really a trend that started in the preseason. They defended really well in the preseason. They started out the season as a top-five defense. Then they went hit that little skid for a while. But now they're back, and they're and they're, they're as of this morning, they're eighth in the league in defense. And when you're when you're defending, I t- you just have a chance to win games. And now you give guys like Towns and Russell and Edwards a chance to make plays down the stretch. Um, it seems pretty simple, and it's something I've been talking about for years. It's just you have to be able to defend at some kind of level. You just you can't continue to be a bottom 10 defense. Um, even if you're league average, that's that's something you can build off. Teams have made the postseason, and it's all about making the playoffs, right? So what's the formula there? You have to have some modicum of defense, some level of consistency on that end. Uh, and then if you can mix in a top 15 offense, well, now you're in good shape. Now you've given yourself a chance Um you know, especially with the play-in games now, including the nine and ten seeds, you, you've you've got a really good chance to put yourself in the mix. So that's what I'm most encouraged about is the way that Chris Finch has gotten these guys to defend, um, and they bought in. And it's almost like a light bulb goes off where they say, "Wow, I look look what happens." You know, they're starting to realize that hey, if we defend and we play like we're capable of, um, we're gonna have a chance to win games, and we like winning games. You get that feeling, that high off of winning games, and you want more of it, um, and so it kind of builds on itself and. Last night against the Wizards was a setback um, defensively, but you know they've they've had kind of those little hiccups, but they've been able to get right back to it. Well, and they've been missing Jaden McDaniels and Patrick yeah. Beverly for some of those recent games too, and those are probably two of their better, most active defensive players. That that stat you just pulled out, I did not realize they've only had one top ten defense. That shocks me based yeah. on how good KG was on yeah. defense for so many years that they just hadn't had the complementary defensive pieces around him. And kind of ironic that. You know, they brought in the defensive guru, Tom Thibodeau, and they had some success with him, but didn't have a top defense with him. It was mostly offense the year that they were good. They were fourth in offensive efficiency this year. And now the offensive coach, Chris Finch, gets him to play defense. Yeah, it's a bizarro world, I guess, or opposite world, as George Costanza would have it on Seinfeld. Uh, Yeah, Tibbs came in and they weren't a good defensive team for his two plus seasons. Um, And yeah, he was more effective on the offensive end. But I think that's also speaks to the coaching um, acumen of those guys. Uh, I mean, if you're a good coach, you play to your personnel. And um, while you may be known for offense or defense, these guys are talented enough to to recognize what they have and to try to put in this, the right system um, to let these guys succeed and, and lead to team success. Um, and, and the Wolves do, desperately do need Pat Beverly back. You, you mentioned him, and he's just it's incredible, Michael. He's he'll stop practice. I mean, he's like a coach out there. He he when he sees something and he his his words carry weight too, because he's been where the wolves want to go. He's had success. Um, you know, he made it to the Western conference finals last year. He was one of the top defenders in the league. And while he may be up there at the second half of his career, um, he's still, he can still get after, and he's still a really important part of this team. And um, yeah, they miss him. They miss Jaden McDaniels. Um, and, and this flu thing is kind of going around and it's, it's, you know, not a lot of teams have depth in this league. And if you lose one starter and then a rotation guy, um, you, you might be able to survive for a game or two, but over the long haul, that that's tough to overcome. So hopefully 
Pat Beverly has been with the team. He's been working out and everything. Um, so hopefully that groin injury that he has, uh, it's not really a long, long-term situation. I think there's still about another week before we get an update on his status. Well, we'll see how that goes. We'll see how the Nets game goes on Friday night. Should be a fun one there for you to call. Hopefully you get to see a few more wins this year than you're accustomed to. The rest of the way feels like they're on the right track. But we think so. We felt that way before, so we'll just kind of reserve judgment until uh, until we see it all play out. But if, if we could just stay away from Ed Malloy, Michael, stay- and, and, now, <laughs> and now Curtis Blair. You know, Curtis Blair was the one who called the non-dunk for Anthony Edwards. Oh, geez. Yeah, so he's on the list. He just made my list. He made your oh man, he's on your list. If he's on your list, he's got to watch it because there's good, a, not a good list. You don't want to be on that list. You're gonna get uh, you're gonna become viral for the wrong reasons <laughs> if you get on Alan Horton's list. Well, Alan, I really enjoyed catching up. This was this was great. Appreciate it, and uh, yeah. yeah, enjoy the rest of the year. All right, Michael, appreciate it, and uh, thanks to everybody for all the support. And uh, hey, go Wolves! Yeah, I just didn't have the heart, I guess, to look up what the Wolves' record was in the 14-plus seasons Alan Horton's been here. But he is seeing his share of bad seasons. Happy for him that this team is more relevant. He is a true pro. I like listening to his calls on the radio when I happen to be taking in Wolves games that way. Give them a listen. He is a definite uh, definite good voice, good, good guy in this market, and uh, really enjoyed catching up with him on Daily Delivery. It is NFL Picks time on Daily Delivery. Mark Craig joins me as he does most Fridays. Uh, Mark, how you doing? Good. How are you doing? I am good. I feel like uh, if you're the Vikings, you, you've got to feel good about the opportunity to get back to 500. You're playing a team that has zero wins this season, but you know, as I talked about on the Access Vikings podcast on Wednesday, and you wrote in your in the you know, the written version of your picks, playing at Detroit this weekend has got some red flags on it. Just based on you know Detroit still playing relatively hard this year, they've had a lot of close games, including against the Vikings earlier this year. You've got the Vikings picked, but you've got it in an overtime game. Um, what, what stands out to you as as potential? Uh, you know, potential traps in this game for them. As time expires too, you know, so it's a 21-18 as time expires. So, uh, yeah, and I wrote about it on Wednesday. It's like this is the third time in 20 years that the Vikings have have gone to Detroit in December trying to make the playoffs, and they're playing a winless uh, Lions team. 2001, if anybody thinks that a winless team in December isn't trying to win or there's like more desperate – if you had one loss, you, you tank it or you, you give up. You have no losses – Go back to that 2001. Uh, they win. Uh, the Lions win 27 24. Uh, Denny Green was five and seven. You know, Zimmer's five and six right now. Denny got fired two weeks later. Uh, but just look at the emotion that went into that game for the Lions after that game. Johnny Morton's throwing his helmet way up in the air. There was a guard that said, I think it feels like we won the Super Bowl. Uh, so, and the Lions, if, you know, five of their 10 losses have been one score losses, and three of them have been on last second field goals, including a record 66 yard uh, by the, by the best team, you know, the best team with the rec- the team with the best record in the AFC at Baltimore and a 54 yarder by Greg Joseph to save an embarrassment at uh, us bank stadium. So uh, this team, you know, they've had some blowouts. They all got killed by Philly, uh, but they have played really hard for a team that says doesn't have a, uh, does not have a win. And they see this, you know, the Vikings see this as a get right game. The, the Lions sees it, see this as an avoid history game, I think. And they're going to play that way. 
Yeah. And, you know, and as, as we talk about, you know, not just that piece of it, one, one piece of it that should perhaps concern the Vikings as well. And, you know, we're waiting to see who all is available defensively for them in this game, but, you know, with, with all of the missing pieces they've had on defense and how much they've frankly struggled against the run, even, you know, even when fully healthy, they weren't a great run defense this season. Detroit runs the ball pretty reasonably well. And if you get into a game where your opponent is running the ball on you, that kind of kind of condenses the game and makes you kind of maximize any opportunities you might have. I mean, that, that defensive line last week against the 49ers, I mean, they, those guys played their asses off, but they're just, they're, they're, they're not frontline players. And they're, you know, if you uh, were standing around in August uh, watching that team and said, Hey, you know, week 13, week 12, Sheldon Richardson's going to be your starting right end. Um, you know, these guys, uh, Sean Bauer is going to be back and playing a significant role after being plucked off the practice squad in New England. Um, they did the best they could. And, and so, yeah, they need some reinforcements there. Uh, usually, usually whenever things start to go with, with this team, go south on this team, it's, it's the run defense. And then suddenly Zimmer, you know, they can't do as much on third downs. Uh, you know, it's third and three instead of third and nine. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the Lions just need a little crack. I mean, if the Vikings, you know, what's strange about the Vikings is that, uh, you know, typically teams that are that struggle like they do, they get behind early. Well, they're always ahead. I mean, they're always they've, they've they're what they're still the only team that's led by seven or more points. Um, they just can't close. So they're, you know, Zimmer has their full attention. He hasn't lost them. They play hard, but they can't finish. And they're not they. They are not good enough to just, you know, obviously to just roll out there and beat the Lions. Lion, you know, this is going to be I, – I just wouldn't want any part of this game right now if I was Zimmer because, you know, it's, um, it's, a, it's a good game to get right. But being on the road uh, against a team that this, that's this desperate, I don't know. It's a, it's a scary game for them. Yeah, I would think so. And like you said, you've got them picked – to win in overtime uh, on the on the last second. If they miss that field goal, by the way, it's going to be Detroit's second tie of the season. They do have a tie against the Steelers, who the Vikings will play um, a couple, uh, actually less than a week from today, since that's a Thursday night game next week. But, you know, a couple chances for getting right for them, but, you know, some tricks in there as well. Like you said, Detroit desperate to win and Pittsburgh, that'll be a short, uh, a short week. So difficult to, uh, to maybe, uh, get to get ready for that one on a quick turnaround, especially if they're still dealing with some health issues. Um, don't have a Packers game to talk about this week. They are on a bye. Aaron Rodgers gets a chance to rest his aching fractured toe. Um, it looks like the best game aside from the Vikings is, uh, is probably that, uh, that Patriots versus bills game. Two of, two of who I'd consider still the, the top contenders in the AFC. I don't know if there's one favorite over there right now, even if Baltimore has the best record right now, um, New England's been playing as well as anybody. What, you know, as you look at them and just kind of assess what Belichick has done this season, what, what stands out to you as being particularly impressive? It's just, it's coaching. It's, um, it's just anticipating what the other team can do, taking away one part, making them play, as they say, left-handed. Um, and they do that to every team. You know what? They don't always win, but, you know, they almost beat Brady in the, in the Buccaneers. If, there's, if they don't miss that uh, field goal at the end off the upright, you know, they beat, uh, they beat, also they beat Brady. Uh, so 
you know, he's he's the he's the best at uh, plugging pieces in when he loses them, winning without stars, getting everyone together. Um, you know, Mac Jones is the was the fifth guy, quarterback taken, but if you look, one that fits, you know, you know, he coming into the draft. There's a Brady comparison. Well, that's kind of ridiculous, to, but he's that he he's that style. He's not Brady, but he's that style. And he fit, and they, and for him to to they didn't have to go get him. Uh, he come. You know, there's four quarterbacks taken in, in the first 14 spots, or 11 or whatever it was. And the Patriots sat there and got the guy that that fits them, and that they knew would fit them because of Belichick. Just a watching how he played at Alabama, and B the Nick Saban Bill Belichick relationship. So, um, you know, he's he to me he's the coach of the year right now, just by, based on you know, what he's been able to do and how fast he's been able to do it. And his, his track record of them being better in December, always being better in December than they were when they started. So uh, I, I picked them to beat the bills until, until, cause they've won six in a row until someone can step up and, and, and knock them down again. And I, I like, uh, I like the Patriots. So you like, so you, the Patriots escape your, uh, you know, the NFL corrects uh, corrects itself kind of uh, kind of theory, right? Belichick is the uh, yeah is the corollary well, had, to that. Yeah, when he, when he had Brady, it didn't exist. Now it's uh, you know the way that they've uh, that they've they've you know put the six game stretch together and where they're going and how they improve and the way the quarterback is playing. I I yeah I, he breaks through that uh, that uh, tradition, I guess. Buffalo, what what's going on with them? They've been Look earlier in the year, maybe things were a little too easy earlier in the year. But you know, earlier in the year, he looked that they looked like they were going to be one of the better teams, and they, they still might end up getting there. But they've had this kind of lull in the middle of the season. Josh Allen has had you know some turnover problems, reverting a little bit to pre twenty twenty form. What what do you see from them that you know? It, I'm, I'm assuming this pick is more Patriots driven than Bills driven. But if they were going better, this might be a, a pick in their direction since they're the home team. Yeah, I think it would be. They're a tough team to figure out. You know, you, um, they, I think I picked them to beat uh, the Colts maybe uh, two weeks ago, and you know, they get blown out. So they're a team I think that's still young, and the quarterback's still young enough. They're still learning how to win. They're, you know, getting there is sometimes easier for these teams than staying there. You know, as as Vikings can have found out every other year, uh, you get there and then you step back. You get there and you step back. You know. A lot of it's injury related for the Vikings, but there's a lot of injuries all over this league. Um, and the Bills are just a team that's that's probably still learning how to how to be consistent. Uh, you know, they they get blown out by uh, the Colts, and then they come back on, on on Thanksgiving and and win by a blowout. So, yeah, I mean, I would not be surprised if they won the game, or I would be surprised if they blew the Patriots out. But I wouldn't be surprised if it was a close game and they win because they probably are the, the well, they are the more talented team. I think, but I think the Patriots are the better coached and the better overall. I mean, they're just, they just know how to win. And uh, that's, that's why I like them. Last one. Speaking of knowing how to win, um, you've got upset special 49ers at Seahawks. You like the Seahawks in this one, which would be good for the Vikings. Seahawks used to doing a lot of winning, haven't done it so much this year. Is this one of those, overcorrection kind of games since San Francisco's yeah. won three in a row. Yeah, I will I will say that Belichick falls outside the correction zone, but Jimmy Garoppolo is in the sweet spot of a correction zone. Uh you know, he's they've won three in a row. 
Uh, you know, wasn't certainly wasn't because of Jimmy Garoppolo last week, especially in the first half. Uh, they got rolling with that offensive line. That you know, I know Zimmer brought it up, and you know, they are grabby, and they, you know, maybe maybe other teams need to teach how to do what they're doing when it comes to that uh, to get away with it because it's only it's only a penalty if they call it, I guess. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, they just don't strike me as a as a team. It's just they've arrived, and now they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna run the table. Now this is the second or at least the second time I have picked the Seattle. I picked Seattle to play like Seattle in Seattle and I've been let down. So uh, I may put them in my lions category. Like when I picked them, the lions to beat Philadelphia in an upset special, I vowed never to pick them again. So uh, this is Seattle's chance. Uh, I, you know, believe it or not, Seattle's still in the same. I think in the NFC, I think only the, only the lions are the, are the team that's out of it. I mean, it's, you know, obviously Seattle's got a change in a hurry, but you know this could be a win. This could be a big win for them and a huge loss for the 49. I should note you're six and five in your upset specials straight up. You've slipped a little bit. So I'd like to see you get to get back on the winning streak with with that. You're ahead of the Vikings, but uh, you're still you're still falling a little you know, bit just, on those upset you know, specials. You know, I, I score first. I give up a touchdown before halftime. I frantically flail in the second half, and then either win or lose on the last. Except for Philadelphia, when they destroyed my, my upset upset special against the Lions. You're in every game, Mark, and that's what's important. We'll, we'll see where it gets you at the end of the year. Well, thanks. Good stuff. We'll do this again next week, all right? All right. Thanks, Michael. Now, we haven't done our dings of concern for a long time, but let me, uh, let me play a couple of right now. Yeah, that signifies the uh, the fact that Eric Kendricks and Anthony Barr were held out of practice on Thursday. Maybe just maintenance. Maybe at least Kendricks will be back in. Sounds like Dalvin Tomlinson and Michael Pierce sure could be back for Sunday's game. That would help out in the run. But a lot of guys missing still on this Vikings team, specifically on the defense. You know, you'd like to think doesn't really matter against Detroit, but I'm still very worried about this game, and I think a lot of other people are as well. Let's finish with the cooler. Brian Kelly, new LSU head coach, was born in Massachusetts, according to Wikipedia, raised in a Catholic Irish-American family in Massachusetts, attended a prep school in Danvers. His father was a Boston politician. This is not a man who grew up with a Southern accent. He's been coaching at Notre Dame, Cincinnati, Central Michigan. He's been in the Midwest, the West, you know, the East, you know, somewhere in between there pretty much his whole life. He gets to LSU and what does he do? He puts on a fake southern accent. Roll the clip. It's a great night to be a Tiger. I'm here with my family and we are so excited to be in the great state of Louisiana, but more importantly, to be with you great fans. I guess I can't blame a guy for trying to fit in, but that is the first time I've ever heard Brian Kelly talk that way. Maybe that's just going to be a new thing now that he's down at LSU, just trying to become one of the group down there in Louisiana. That'll do it for today. That'll do it for the week. Go back and listen if you missed. Good stuff all week. Should be fun next week as well. Patrick Royce on Monday. Lots of stuff happening next week as well. Going to have a lot of great stuff lined up for you. Have a great weekend. We'll be back at it on Monday.